0: Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Good morning, BC Warren. You're a good-looking group out there. Good-looking. Hi. My name is Jimmy, and I'm from the uh, Boardman campus of you guys. And I want to say, first of all, thank you for planning that campus. We are doing awesome out there. We're working our side of the valley. And I see some friends out here. Hello. (laughs) So I want to say thank you for that. And secondly, I just got to say, I love it here. You guys are awesome. And how good do we feel about having Pastor Joe all of August? Can we give it up and just thank him, man, for all that God is doing there? All right. And I want to invite you whenever you're in the Mahoning Valley, come visit us for a Sunday morning service also. So that's all. Um, Table manners matter is what we're going to talk about today. So just to give you a little clue on that, maybe if you're like me, either in school or at home, you were given table manners. You were taught how to set a table. Um, You were taught, like me, uh, use a napkin and not your sleeve when you need to. Uh, You were also taught maybe don't lean on the table. Get your elbows off the table. How about when you're chewing, keep your mouth closed because nobody wants to see what you're eating. Ever hear any of those things? Um, Maybe your family was like mine. There's certain things we don't talk about at the table, especially if Uncle Tony's coming. Don't bring it up, okay? Well, those are all good manners to have. But I think when Jesus talks about table manners, he's talking about who we share our meals with and why we share it with them truly matters. Do you know, there's intentionally only one place setting here today. On any given evening in America, 45% of our population eats alone. There's a new epidemic that they call loneliness, and it's really crossing the globe. And actually, Japan and Great Britain have already designated a minister of loneliness in hopes of getting them out, communing them with other people and moving forward. They've discovered that loneliness has physical and mental difficulties that are associated with it. One, people that eat alone tend to not eat as healthy. So therefore obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, things of that nature hit in. Also mentally, they lose some of their cognitive abilities. They tend to have onsets of Alzheimer's earlier in life than others. And on the flip side, there's a magazine called Brain World Matters, believe it or not. And they talk about all the benefits of eating communally with others. And they begin with the history of dinners. Dinners 60 years ago used to take about an hour for eating and correspondence, and just getting caught up on everyone's life and pouring into each other. Today, families that do eat together, the average time is 12 minutes. Hardly enough time to even get the nutrients in your body, let alone find out what happened in people's lives. Um, Families who eat together most nights of the week have a lot of benefits. They say that especially children, their Better academically, they're less susceptible to peer pressure, um, substance abuse, teen pregnancy, um, and low self-esteem. You know, the dining room table does so much for all of us. But you know, God knew that long before science knew that. If you go back to Genesis, God placed us in a garden. He created our bodies so that they hunger for food. He told us in Genesis what is good to eat. In the Old Testament, he took times with some of the patriarchs and the prophets and had what we call covenant, governmental meals, easy for me to say, covenant meals. Um, Even in the Jewish nation themselves, they had festivals and all of their festivals ended with a feast. And God promises that in Revelations, we're going to have this great marriage supper with the Lamb. God is all about gathering together and enjoying meals together. And Jesus's ministry was no exception. We're going to see that many of the parables that we're familiar with and the events in Jesus's ministry actually occurred inside a home, around a table, or during a meal. In fact, Jesus himself is quoted in Matthew as saying, the son of man came eating and drinking. So that's a pretty good plug for having meals together and parties together. We're going to fly through a couple of the meals that Jesus had. I'll share the stories. The scriptures will be on the back here. But the first one comes from Luke um, chapter 5. And Jesus had just called Levi later called Matthew, to be a disciple. If you remember, Levi is a tax collector. He's Jewish. He's not well-liked by his fellow Jews because he works for the oppressors, the Romans. He gets to tax them according to what Rome wants. And then he gets to add whatever he wants on top of it. So if I like the way you smile, it might be this percentage. If I don't like it, or you said no to me last night, it might be a different percentage. He gets to do that. So he's not well liked by his fellow Jews. So it's with that we go on. Jesus had just called him. And in 29, it says, later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus puts the gauntlet down and says, I'm in the rescue business, okay? These are the people I came for, the ones that I'm having dinner with tonight, those that are sick, those that are far from me. And so when Matthew invites me into his home, I will go there to build a bridge with those individuals that are far from me in the hopes that I can rescue them, in the hopes that some of them will see who I am and join me and follow me as time goes on. So God will go anywhere and eat with anyone to build a bridge. And when I was thinking about this and preparing this, it just like reflected on me and I had to repent. I thought about times that I've been invited to social gatherings and I've thought about it and I've said, I don't really like that crowd. (laughs) They don't think the way I think. They don't look the way I look, vote the way I vote. I know what the conversations are going to be like. Now, thanks for the invitation, but I'm staying home. And Jesus didn't do that. Picture this. This is a dinner party all night, probably mostly all men, all tax collectors. Can you imagine what the conversation was like? Can you imagine the jokes, the off-color jokes, the questioning, the sarcasm? All this was going on, but yet Jesus willingly put himself in there to build a bridge for the hope of rescuing. And I had to think those times that I've been invited were there bridges that God wanted me to build with some of my coworkers, neighbors, anybody else that might have invited me in, that I passed on out of selfishness. And then I felt really bad because I thought about the times we're holding a party at our house. And my wife would say, how about if we invite so-and-so? And And I'd go, no. (laughs) There is no way I want to talk to him tonight. Okay? Let's not. But again, God just dawned on me. I made a decision where he wanted to build a bridge. Who knows what would have happened of that? And Jesus will walk into any room, share a meal with anyone to build bridges. And us as his disciples, learner followers, are called to do the same. That's the first example of Jesus sharing a meal with someone. The second comes from in Mark. And it's out in chapter eight. They're in the wilderness. He'd been teaching for three days. He's tired. He's done. He said all he wants to say, he's hungry. And he's ready to call it quits. And so here's what it says. Another large crowd gathered and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion for these people. They have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And so he asked his disciples, what do we have? And they have seven loaves and a few fish. And like he's done before, he sits the crowd down. He breaks it. He blesses it. It multiplies. And he feeds the crowd. Why did he do it? It said, I have compassion on people. Compassion is different than feeling sorry for someone, okay? Or saying, I'll pray for you or having empathy. Compassion is a verb that means I move to action. If you're hungry... I'm going to share what I have or I'm going to go hungry with you. If you're hurting, I'm going to listen to what you have to say because my compassion is going to make me walk through that situation with you. And so Jesus was done after three days. But out of compassion, he created another miracle and fed the 4,000. And it concludes by saying this in verse 8. They ate as much as they wanted afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. So he didn't do anything else. His compassion just caused him to feed people. He was hungry. He figured they were. And you know, God wants to use our kitchen tables and mills to show compassion on a lot of people around us. Jesus at that outing, he fed them spiritually and then he fed them physically. And you know, how many people do we know that we pray for or maybe we have empathy or feel sorry for? But compassion says we invite them over. Maybe they're a widow, maybe recently divorced or there's a bad relationship problem or unemployment just hit them. In addition to having empathy and praying, Let's use compassion and open our homes and invite them over and have a meal with them. Nothing says love like sitting across the table with somebody who prepared a meal and sharing it with them. It breaks down barriers and it sets the stage for anything that God wants to do. We don't eat with people we don't like. We say no, right? Or if they say something that gets you angry, how many times do you see people? They're done. They get up and they leave the table. So when we invite someone into our home to share a meal with them, it's an expression of love and acceptance of them into your life. So that's, God used it to build a bridge. God created a meal because he had compassion for people. And then after his resurrection, he appeared to the disciples a couple times. This is actually the third time it says he appeared to them. And it's like this, he's on this... John and Peter and some of the disciples are fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And we'll pick up here. It says later, start on verse four. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? And no, they replied. He says, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll catch some. This is the second time he's working this miracle. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his robe, jumped in the water, and headed for shore. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for there were only about 100 yards. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Why is Jesus cooking a meal for the disciples? Here's the answer. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know, I love you. Let's go back to that. Peter denied Jesus three times. And we're going to hear Jesus ask him three times if you love me. All right. Peter, it says, this is the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples. So obviously, Peter never repented. He never said, Lord, I am sorry that I denied you. I'm sorry that I was afraid. He never did. Have you ever had somebody that's offended you, that has hurt you, and you're waiting for them to come and apologize and make it right, and you go, I'm not calling them. They're the one that said that. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe it's Italian. Who knows? But have you ever done that? Jesus certainly had the privilege and the opportunity to do that with Peter, but he didn't. He pursued him, and I think it's an example for us to pursue people that have offended us. And he could have just showed up on the shore and he could have said, Peter, veni qua, I got to talk to you. He could have said that. I got something to say to you. And then just get down to the brass and bolts. You know what you did? It wasn't right. I've got a mission for you and we've got to get it right between the two of us so we can move forward because I'm getting out of here. He could have said that, but what did he do? He cooked a meal first. Why? Because meals break down walls, they break down barriers, they soften hearts and they show people that I care about you. I took the time to prepare it. I love you and I want you to be a part of us. That's what a meal does. And that's why Jesus prepared breakfast for them before he had his encounter with Peter. And then it goes on to say, you know, he says it three times and it says a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And then after he tells him how he's going to die, he goes to this, Peter, follow me. So Jesus went to restore Peter, even though Peter should have been the one to go there and ask for forgiveness. And so use your meal. Use a dinner table to restore a broken relationship in your life. There's a lot of restoration that's needed. All of us know people that used to be sitting in here that aren't here anymore. Maybe just call them up and invite them over, not to reprimand them, not to ask them, but just to befriend them in the hopes of restoring them. Use your meals for that. Maybe someone has offended you and you're waiting for them to reach out to you. Don't now is the time. Prepare a meal, invite them over, start the relationship in hopes of restoring that relationship. And sometimes even, you know, maybe if you live in a neighborhood like I live in and you try to restore neighbors, when we first moved in, I met neighbor A and he told me everything wrong about neighbor C. And then a couple days later, I met neighbor C who told me everything wrong about neighbor A. (laughs) I don't know why they talk to me. It's because I got big ears and they know I'll listen. Who knows? So here's what we did. We had a barbecue and we invited A and C over and we never brought up the issues. But you know what? They got to talking and it wasn't a couple weeks later. They were working in each other's yards together. You see, that's what food does. That's what meals do when you invite someone in and you take the time to prepare a meal. It breaks down barriers and it shows an expression of love. That's why Jesus loved mealtime. And he would go so many places. You read all the time about the meals with Mary and Martha. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. The Pharisees were always inviting him in, trying to trick him, and he would go. One time it says in Luke where he's in a a Pharisee's house and he's watching everybody come up and they're trying to get to the top seat, closest to the host. And he goes, you really shouldn't do that because if somebody of greater stature comes in, they're going to ask you to leave and you're going to end up at the bottom. And then he speaks on humility and he goes to the host and he says, this is really nice. This is a good spread. Everything you've done, all the people you've invited, except everybody here at your party, they can throw a party and invite you back. He goes, it would be better if you invited some people who never have the ability to pay you back and let my God, my father in heaven, reward you when you get there. And so sometimes... When we throw parties, we invite all our friends, but we need to be on the lookout for those that are lonely, this epidemic we talked about. We need to be on the lookout for who God puts in front of us and invite them into our circle. The meal will do wonders. And then the best meal of all is the one Jesus did the night before he died. We call it the Last Supper, and it comes from John chapter 13. It says, Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This is within 24 hours of when he's going to be dead. And he takes time to enjoy the Passover meal, and this thing goes on for hours. And the very first thing he does is show them that if you're going to be a leader, you need to learn to be a servant, and he washes their feet. That's the whole purpose of it, to show us to lead means we need to serve. And so he does that, and then he spends the next four or five hours with multiple courses, multiple glasses of wine, and he pours into them. And we don't think about this, but many of the things that we've heard in the Gospel of John, the next couple chapters, he says, if I go away, I'm preparing a place and I'm going to come and get you. This is during the Passover meal. He says, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. When you pray, pray with my authority in my name. He pours out all these nuggets of truth to the disciples. Why? Because he's investing in them, you know? and he knows that he's going to be arrested in a few short hours he knows he's going to be dead he certainly could be thinking about those things but he's thinking about others and he's investing in them and sometimes i've said i don't want to have him over tonight cuz i got to get up early tomorrow morning oh poor me you yeah? know we need to be like god In other words, there are people that have come before us that God has put there simply because we have the ability to give them something they need, whatever it is. It could be friendship. It could be just the meal. It could be encouraging them in their walk. It could be leading them to Christ. But we have the ability to invest in others and befriend them. And God says, do it around a meal. It's the best place to start a relationship. And so in these four examples, and then he has the last supper and says, do this in remembrance of me. And he goes on from there. But in these four examples, Jesus uses food and a meal table to build bridges to rescue people. Just out of compassion, he prepares a meal for people. He does it to restore relationships, both with people with God and people with each other. And he does it to teach us humility in time it takes to prepare for others the early church understood this. This is what they did. You know, they didn't have the New Testament after Jesus left the earth. So they had what what many people like to call table church. Sorry, I forgot a script. Acts (laughs) 246 talks about they met together in the temple and then in homes. The early church had large group church like this, and small group in homes. Weekly, they gathered together for a full-blown meal with the same people. Those that had larger homes hosted it. And you might have 30, 40 people in your home for a meal. And in the process of that evening meal, they did the remembrance and received communion. This went on every week with the same group of people. So you got to rub elbows. You got to work out everything you didn't like about each other and said wrong to each other. You became a community and a family. And that's what Table Church was about. You told Jesus stories and you grew together. And so this is a modern day Table Church. I know you have them here. That's a group in Boardman. They meet weekly, they have a full meal, and they tell Jesus stories. They have prayer. And they share what's going on in their life. And they choose a scripture to talk about. And they're growing together. And you know what? When one of them's in the hospital, that's who they call. They don't call the pastor. They call their family group, their community group. When one of them has a need, that's where they deal with it. They are becoming a small church in these situations. And this is what God calls us to. But we've gotten away from that. What happened is... This, our church started with 120 in the upper room. And in 200 years, we were three and a half million, all without a church building, just using table church. Then Rome declares Christianity as the religion of the land and we come out and it's taxed and money's coming forth. And we move to what next stage of church growth is called the altar church. And that's where, Church went from large gatherings and then small groups every week where you worked everything out to once a week in a large church building or a cathedral and it became all about the Last Supper, the adoration of the elements. It was all about that. And they lost the effect and the necessity of table church, of gathering together in homes and ministering one to another and growing together they lost that. And then as protesters, we like to call ourselves Protestants, after the invention of the uh, the printing press around the 1500s, we come out and we rightfully recognize that when we gather, this is very valuable and important, but so is the proclamation of the word, okay? And so Protestant churches became what it, many people call pulpit church, right? And that is where it was all about proclaiming and learning and memorizing the word of God. And you would have small buildings with two or 300 people in them. And they knew that we needed to gather together in small groups. So they would have, if anybody ever went to these, fellowship mills, okay, in the fellowship hall. But those were sporadic. Thank heavens for those. I mean, was 4th of July great? Was anybody here, did you have fun 4th of July? No? yes, thank you. I see that hand. (laughs) So fellowship meals are great, but when you do those a few times a year, that's totally different than sharing a meal every week with the same people. And so it's still lacking some. And now we've come to the last century that we're in, and we've moved into a stage where we can build facilities like this, and it's called theater church because we can do anything that a theater does. We can have drama put on plays. We can put on concerts. We certainly have worship. We certainly have the proclamation and we certainly share in the Lord's Supper. And so this has been called theater church, but we recognize the need for gathering together in homes. And so we have connect groups. There's my plug, the rallies in two weeks. We have connect groups where you have an opportunity to be with the same people for at least seven weeks and get to know each other. And you know what you'll find out? If you do those connect routes, and even if you switch from one to another over the course of a few years, you will make some relationships that you'll develop your own family outside of here, a core group of people that you will do life with, and they will be there for you, and you will be there for them. And so the early church, as I said, understood that. How do we get back? to doing both, to having our large gatherings and also having small groups. You know, some of the reasons that we don't have a lot of people in our home, I think is what Tim Keller says, it's because of the idols of our heart. We love our homes, right? We don't want anybody to mess them up. We go home, we want to put on our fat pants and relax and kick up on the TV screen, right? And if you come over, I can't do that, okay? We look at it the wrong way, but that's not what God intended. You know, we all know that God blesses us to be a blessing. And when I look across this room, myself included, probably the majority of us, the greatest asset we have on earth is our home. And yet it's the one we fight the most, that we tend to use the least for building bridges, for showing compassion, and for restoring others. And Jesus has given us example after example of using the meal table to do those things. But yet we fight against it. Part of the reason we fight against it is our outlook. You know, we think that if we're having someone over, that all the settings have to match, okay? That my furniture is old, um, that I have to prepare a gourmet meal you see, no, that is entertaining. That's what happens when you go to a wedding function in a hall and everything's perfect with all the centerpieces. That's entertaining. No, what Jesus is talking about, I'm going home and I'm having lunch. Anybody want to come? Whatever we put together, that's what we're having, and we're going to talk about what God did today. That's sharing a meal. Don't make it more than we need to make it. But the idols of our heart. Let me give you a phrase. This is um, a Spanish phrase, so I'll do my Spanish as best as I can. Um, a lot of Europeans use this, so you'll know what it says. It says, mi casa es tu casa. What did I say? My house is your house. Okay. Now, there's a North American phrase, and it goes like this. A man's home is his castle. Do we see the difference? My house is your house. It's open. It's welcome. Come on in. My house is my castle. You can't get in. Okay? It's harder. There's such a big difference. We do this as individuals. You know, I showed the four stages of the, um, of the church and how we've gone. And team back there helped me. I forgot the two stages of us individually. So we're going to go back to those photos. Here's what we've done as an individual. We used to have homes like this. Thank you. Maybe you grew up in a home like this, or maybe it was your grandparents' home, but it was a big house with a big front porch with furniture on it, a large picture window with a living room in front of the house. And after dinner, you sat on the porch. Or if it was raining, you sat in the living room and you looked out. And the rest of your neighbors walked the neighborhood and they would walk around on the sidewalks. And we had this thing called walkways that went from the sidewalk to the front porch. And you were expected, if you were walking around your block and you saw their neighbor, your neighbor on the porch, to walk up on the porch and have a beverage with them or a conversation or a dessert. It was the thing to do. Neighborhoods were communities. We've all heard that before. You know, I can, I delivered papers. This was back before the internet for some of you. We actually had newspapers and I can drive down, this was 50 years ago, I can drive down the streets I grew up on where I delivered papers until today. And I can still tell you the name of every person who lived in every home. And I can even tell you something unique about them, either in their home or their personality. Why? Because neighbors were a community and God's calling us to use the mills to be a community also. What have we done? We've moved from that to this is what our homes look like now. We've moved from a front porch with a living room to having a large family room in the back of our home with sliding doors onto a deck with a gas grill or a full kitchen with an umbrella with sofas and a table, sometimes a hot tub, maybe even a pool, definitely most of the time a fence. And you're not getting into my backyard, into my house, into my life, unless I go open the gate. Man, have we moved away from what God's called us to do. It's so different. And so how do we get back to that? You know, those of us that have decks like that, and I have one similar to that, so I'm not opposed to them. (laughs) But those of us, we'll go around and we'll invite people to church and many times they won't come. But do you know People who won't come to church will come to our homes for a dinner. Let me tell you a story about a woman. She's the autobiographer of this book. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, written by Rosario Butterfield. I want to tell you, do not read this book unless you're opening to God piercing your heart and changing your lifestyle. If not, just listen to what I say and don't buy the book. But here's the story on Rosario. Zaria is a professor of communications for 10 years at the University of Syracuse. She heads up the queer theory department. She's involved with legislation for equal rights for gays and lesbians. She's an active speaker at gay pride parades and she dislikes Christians. And she'll tell you it's because of the things we say, things we do, and the way we act when she's exercising her free speech. And so Promise Keepers was in town, and something set her off, and she wrote a letter to the editor tearing us apart. One Christian sent her a letter and said, you know, a lot of what you said is right, but that's not my Jesus. Would you come over and have dinner with us at our home? And she agreed to for the sole purpose in her mind of going to get more ammunition for the book that she was writing against Christianity. But here's what happened. It started with one meal, and then she came back a week later for another meal. And that went on a few times. And then this family had community groups in their home with Bible studies, and she started coming to those groups. And in the course of two years, she made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And she'll tell you, and now she's married, her husband's a pastor, and they live this. Their gospel comes with a house key. They live with an open house and have people at their meals. But she'll tell you this, when he invited them in, she said, you know what I understand? The greatest sin is separation from God. It's not being a lesbian or anything else. It's separation from God. And that's what they spoke to me about. And it wasn't until it was only about Jesus. And it wasn't until I made a commitment to Jesus that Jesus started working on my lifestyle. And I made that change. And they walked with me through that. But they didn't look for an opportunity to condemn me. They just wanted to share Jesus. And so Rosario has a powerful story about how she works in neighborhoods and where she lives and the people that are in her home. But it's proof that people that you invite to church that may never come here will come to your home. And it's also proof that, you know, as an individual, chances are, most of us will never change the world. But as an individual, we can change individuals. And all that happens, one of the tools, one of the many tools that God gives us to do that with is our tables. So where does that leave us? Psalm 68.6 says, God places the lonelies in families. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about my level of faith. Before I stepped up here and as I prepared and as I prayed, I asked God to do one thing that you would remember when you leave here today. I asked God that when I talked about going places where we're not comfortable to build a bridge to rescue people, when I talked about having compassion on people that are hurting and inviting them into my home, even though it's not comfortable. When I talked about restoration, whether it's two people to each other, someone to me or someone to God, or when I talked about pouring time, my valuable time that I don't wanna give up into somebody else to invest in them, that you would see somebody in your mind. I ask God that you would think of somebody, someone's name, or have someone's picture, someone's face in your mind over one of those events. And so I mentioned earlier, I believe that we're disciples, learner followers. I love what another pastor calls us. He calls us apprentices. We're learning to do the trade that Jesus did. You know, we understand this in the trades. If you're in the plumbing business, there's a master plumber and he trains the apprentice. And the master plumber does it. And then he tells the apprentice, now you go try and do that. That is what God is teaching us to do. You know, it does no good to be hearers of the word if we're not doers of the word. And so here's what I've asked. The host team for communion this week, when we leave, you're going to receive the elements to take home with you. Okay? And I'm going to ask you to put them on your kitchen table or wherever you eat. And over the course of the week, as you look at that, I want you to think of the person that came to your mind, that I know God put in your mind, the face or the name, today, and have the faith and the courage to reach out to them and have a meal with them and share with us what the end result is. That's what Jesus means. That's one of the things he means when he says, do this in remembrance of me. He's talking about everything that he did, which is, sharing meals with people that aren't like him or that have hurt him. And so that's our challenge for tonight. That's what I'm asking you to leave with and accept. accept the, will you accept the challenge is the question as apprentices to do what God has done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for showing us and reminding us that everything you've given us is a gift from you. It's We've been blessed to be a blessing. And that includes the largest thing you've given most of us, which is our homes. So help us to recognize that you want us to use those to build bridges and show compassion and restore people and invest in people. And Lord, I ask for the faith and the strength to reach out to somebody that's hurt me, that I'm waiting for them to respond just like Jesus was waiting for Peter, but allow me to prepare a meal and invite them over this week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do during that conversation, regardless of what we say to each other. And Lord, for others, you may be here and you can't even remember a time that you asked God to come into your life. And So for you, we've talked a lot about relationships today and six of the 10 commandments, the last six deal all about relationships but the first four deal with our relationship to God. And so I would encourage you, especially if you're here on a Labor Day weekend, it is because God is building a bridge and wanting to rescue you. And if you've had a relationship with Jesus, but it's wandered, and you'd like to have the joy of that salvation back, today He wants to restore it. And so if all of us would, Repeat after me together. Father God, we love you. Thank you for showing us how to live. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be part of your family. I ask you to forgive me, receive me, restore me, build me up, and allow me to be a blessing to others and I choose to follow you the remainder of my life. In your name, amen.
0: Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church,